Hello, and welcome to the Coral Catalog Podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. I hope that through this podcast, you can find choral repertoire that works for your high school and or middle school choruses. This is episode five, and I'll be talking to Mark Surrett about his arrangement of Carrick Fergus, which is available for TBB. Mark Surrett is a native of Kingston, Ontario, and holds both an MA and a DMA in choral conducting and pedagogy from the University of Iowa. He has taught at the University of Alberta, Western University, and Queen's University. In the fall of 1996, he became founding artistic director of the Cantabile Choirs of Kingston, a multi-choir educational program consisting of seven choirs that total almost 300 singers. He has directed honors choirs throughout Canada, the U.S., Luxembourg, and most recently, South Korea. Dr. Surrett is also an award-winning choral composer whose works have been published in Canada, the U.S., Britain, Germany, and Sweden. His compositions and arrangements have been commissioned, performed, and recorded by leading ensembles worldwide. I hope that you enjoy my conversation today with Dr. Mark Surrett about Carrick Fergus. All right, welcome to the Choral Catalog, everyone. My name is Matthew Van Dyke. I am the host of the Choral Catalog. Today, we are joined with Mark Surrett. Welcome, thanks for joining us. It's a real pleasure to be with you. Thanks so much for the invitation. Absolutely. So today's episode is going to focus on Mark's um, arrangement of Carrick Fergus. Um, This is written for uh, TTB. Is that right, Mark, or is it TBB? Uh, Actually, it's TBB. TBB. Okay. So this is uh, this is um, voiced for TBB. Um, I uh, have personally done this composition with my uh, tenor bass choir, and I think it's a great uh, resource for uh, for listeners to know um, about the uh, concerning repertoire. So uh, before we jump into um, talking about Carrick Fergus, uh, I thought I would ask you some kind of off the cusp uh, questions. Some get uh, some would you rather questions. So uh, the first one that I have is, uh, Mark, would you rather be stuck on a broken ski lift or a broken elevator? Broken elevator. Great. For sure. <laughs> um, would you rather be too busy? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Tell me. I'm not a skier, so <laughs> there's no way that's ever going to happen. <laughs> uh, okay. Next one. Would you rather be too busy or would you rather be flat out bored? too busy. Yeah, I I love being active and being productive and creative, for sure. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, And then the last one is, would you rather be fluent in all languages? Or would you rather be able to talk to animals? (laughs) I'd love to be fluent in all languages, to be quite honest. Yeah. I, I really admire those people that, that um, have the command of many different languages. It's just an amazing ability. Yeah, the, the polyglots, they, they, yeah. they blow me away. Uh, all right, I, I appreciate you kind of playing my game a little bit. Sure. <laughs> um, so uh, let's kind of uh, just pivot into some musical questions about you. So. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell me, Mark, who's another choral composer who you feel has influenced you? Oh, gosh. Um, I think there are quite a number of um, composers. I think as um, as someone who initially studied harmony and counterpoint and, and taught it, uh, there are certain composers that, that um, choral composers in particular, that I enjoyed. Um, I did my, my dissertation on Howells. So um, I adore um, 
Vaughn Williams and Howells. I think um, there's a, a real understanding of voice leading, natural voice leading and, and, um, and harmonies that uh, are apparent in that English school. And uh, certainly contemporary uh, composers, Lordson, of course, um, Canadian composer that I'm very fond of is Imad Ramich. And it might be a name that some of you uh, recognize, but um, some very beautiful um, choral scores. And what I really appreciate about uh, Imant is that he, um, there's something uh, really wonderful about the individual lines, as well as the, the harmony. It's, um, it's beautifully crafted music and um, yet, deeply romantic as well neo-romantic absolutely i i i'm a big fan of uh in the night we shall go in uh, that's oh yes that's one that uh, every time that i hear it it's it's just stunning um yeah it's gorgeous so i'm i'm glad you 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 talked about about talked about him harriet children for ssa women's chorus fantastic piece great yeah. great thank you yeah uh, uh, Coral rep, throw it our way. That's that's the point of this. <laughs> okay, um, and then the last one I have for you before we start talking about Carrick Fergus um, is what is your um, desert island piece of choral music? What's one piece that you just couldn't live without? Oh my gosh. Um, I would have to probably say the Barbara on you stay. <laughs> yeah, I, I know it wasn't originally conceived for choir, but there is something so heartbreaking about that, uh, that piece. And um, I can't imagine the world without it. That's a stun stunning choice. I absolutely love that choice too. I got to sing that one in high school and I, I don't wow. think at the time I understood what was happening and now, right. you know, studying choral conducting and, uh, and, and having this kind of breadth of repertoire, it's, it's stun It's just stunning. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for yeah. that. All right. Um, if it's okay with you, let's pivot and let's do a little bit of discussion about, about your arrangement of Carrick Fergus. Sure. So, um, I have a, just a couple questions for you, and then we'll kind of pivot from kind of the historical or the conceptual, the concept part of it to kind of how would you teach it and so on and so forth. What are some uh, teaching strategies and whatnot? But, um, you know, this is a very uh, common folk song um, in the Irish tradition. And um, so what when when did you write this arrangement and was this a commission? How did it come to be? No, it wasn't a commission. It was uh, written shortly after I founded the uh, Cantabile Young Men's Chorus here in Kingston. Um, it was a very small group of, uh, I think we started with six guys when they, they sang their first uh, Christmas concert. And um, I think it was later that year. So I, I'm thinking maybe 1997 or 1998. I found it really difficult to find um, repertoire that was appropriate for that age group. Uh, these were young men with cha uh, changing voices um, through to the end of high school. Most of them were on the, the younger age, 
um, we didn't have that many tenors. So it's, it is written for tenor, baritone and bass. And um, gosh, what about that uh, folk song? Well, there's something inherently beautiful about uh, so many Irish folk songs, uh, um, inherently beautiful about any folk songs for that matter. But um, my, my family background is also Irish and, and Scottish. And you probably discover in my catalog that I have a lot of um, folk songs from Scotland and Ireland, um, arrangements for all different kinds of choirs. And it's the kind of music that I, I grew up with. Um, so there's something inherently beautiful about these folk songs that have stood the, the test of time. And um, one of the interesting things about Carrick Fergus is, is that it has a fairly broad compass. It's, um, it's a bigger range than uh, many other folk songs. Uh, a lot of folk songs can be quite restricted, um, you know, maybe, maybe a sixth, maybe, maybe an octave, but this is, is more like an octave than a fourth. Um, and uh, so there's something about the sweep of that, that melody that I just found so wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, that, I, I'm so glad that uh, you're able to talk to us about your heritage. I, that, 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 now that kind of creates that puzzle piece that fits. <laughs> um, so thank you. Thank you so much. What, um, still, still really big here in Canada. I don't know whether you're aware of that, but I, I'm uh, not aware of that. Well, uh, Canada's East Coast, uh, yes, lots of um, uh, lots of Celtic music happening, and um, our I would say our folk tradition is definitely uh, firmly rooted in the Celtic tradition. Wow, for sure, that's great to know. Thank you. Um, I don't. Uh, can can I ask you a little bit about? I think that you know for years and years and years when we've had um tenor bass choruses it's just been the standard to kind of do that ttbb so um you know you had talked about when you had started um your men's chorus that you were you were um at the mercy of your quantity um but there are other arrangements in your catalog that are ttb or tbb can you talk to me about a, a little bit about why you have um you know, kind of a, 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 a love for setting that, that voicing maybe. Right. Well, definitely uh, working with these teen choirs um, and recognizing that uh, not, not everyone has a luxury of having a lot of tenors. In fact, I, I find that the tenor voice tends to develop um, later in the teen years, the true tenor voice. And so a lot of my guys, they've, um, they're probably more like um, uh, baritones or, or basses who are willing to sing falsetto. And so I find that, that tenor baritone bass is a better fit rather than uh, dividing them and kind of struggling with a first and second tenor, you know, where sometimes the harmony is there sometimes it's it's missing depending on the guys who are singing it and um uh that just provides them with a little bit more to hang on to yeah i definitely 
I definitely found that in in your arrangement. I, I I was in a similar situation. I think I think I can say that many of our listeners are probably going to be in a similar situation if they teach high school or they have a uh, you know a junior high school men's uh, tenor bass chorus or something like that. That they're they're shifting and their voices are are not settled yet. So and they can change on a daily basis and yes need to be prepared for that and know that there have to be uh that you have to make those kinds of adjustments along the way um young young guys who might start out as uh what you think is a tenor in the fall you know by by christmas they're singing baritone and um you have to know that uh yeah they they do need to shift down <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and be ready at that. Be ready for that at a at a minute's notice. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, and I think as a conductor, you need to be pretty flexible, not only in in terms of of um, where the the voices are going to uh, um, what part they're going to be assigned, but also uh, pretty flexible in terms of of uh, making modest changes to the score to accommodate your group. I found over the years that um, I I ended up doing a lot of that, largely to to make sure that the um, that the, that they could sing with a great deal of confidence, rather than struggling with um, a passage that was too difficult or maybe too high or possibly too low. Go ahead and revoice it as as is necessary, because those groups do do change a lot during the course of, of a single semester. I appreciate you, you saying that that that's a that that's a I think sometimes a hot topic with uh, with teachers and uh, and directors in that they are afraid to change change things when necessary because they want to be authentic they want to be true to the composer, um, but I think it, it's it's healthy to hear that. Yeah, I have no difficulty in people changing things around. Um, no, it's I, I think very often it's it's necessary. And you have to think about um, you have to think about the individual voices within the choir, but I think you also have to think about the audience. <laughs> you know, if something isn't working, just recognize it's this is not working and this needs to be fixed. And um, I don't think that the score necessarily has to be sacred. Great, thank you very much. All right, let's let's uh, let's dive in a little bit more into the arrangement. Um, so the first question I have for you is, you know, as, as choral directors, we, when we program our, um, our concerts and when we sequence our lessons, um, we have to, I think, personally, I think about the, uh, the musical concepts that uh, we are trying to teach our singers. Um, so, you know, and, and, and not just that the song sounds good or that it's, ex or that it's exciting or whatnot, but, but there, are, there are educational concepts below it. Um, so if, if we were to take a look at Carrick Fergus and, and kind of either step back or really kind of dive in, um, what musical concepts do you believe that your arrangement teaches well? I think probably first and foremost, uh, developing a beautiful legato line. Um, it's very sustained and the phrases are quite long. Um, so that is, uh, that's probably the first part of it. I think uh, along with that is developing um, a beautiful tone. Um, 
that is consistent in that range. I, I mentioned that this particular melody is um, almost an octave and a half. So uh, the guys need to work pretty hard at both the lower extremity of their range, but also um, the upper part of, the, of their range. So I think um, uh, legato singing, it, uh, it definitely promotes that. Excellent. I think there's also something to be said about how this melody, um, when it has those, uh, when it has that long whole note, but it but it goes over the bar. I think that there's something to be said about keeping that energy going through the long note and and not right. and and the destination is is not until much later. I mean, you you touched on it with the long the melody being long, um, but that whole note can be um i think disorienting a little bit and that you think that oh, i got through and, and now i'm done but the phrase is almost nowhere near over sometimes <laughs> yeah the whole whole note appears on the third note i wish i no a uh, fourth note yes that's right Yes. So that's, I think that's a, that's a critical thing to, uh, to keep in mind when programming this piece, but, uh, and that whole note can be one of the most expressive parts of, of that melody. If, um, if done right, you know, a slight crescendo, uh, leading into the, the rest of the phrase. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as choral directors, uh, you know, the first day of rehearsal, when we have all of our music prepped and, um, you know, hand, and, and, and numbered sometimes for our students and whatnot, uh, we have to think about the sequencing of our rehearsal and, uh, uh, you know, from piece to piece, but even in the piece itself. Um, so uh, if we were on the first day of Carrick Fergus uh, at a, you know, I, I can only speak for myself in terms of that I had a ninth through 12th grade tenor bass chorus, uh, some students in all states, some not. Um, what is the first thing what is the first part? What is the first concept that you would teach your singers um, with this piece? Where would you begin? Hmm. It's, uh, it's tempting to go to um, the refrain, um, but the C is wide. Um, however, I'm thinking I would probably have them sing in unison um, the whole melody. And I would probably have them sing it uh, maybe to um, O or ah, depending on how high it gets. In fact, um, I might even transpose it so that it's uh, the upper notes are a little bit easier for the baritones and just to caution the tenors not to push their, their lower voice at all. Um, as a keyboardist, I'm I'm able to uh, transpose pretty pretty readily, so um, that might be the way that I would actually introduce it. Um, again, to for them to really understand um, this beautiful art that exists in in every single uh, line of the of the melody. Um, yeah. So I would probably not introduce text. I would sing to a neutral vowel 
and prob probably uh, even OO to begin with because it's um, medium register. Um, yeah, exactly to find the head tone. And, um, but then if they, they need to open up, uh, you know, possibly to an ah, it's, it's a little bit tricky for teen voices. Ah is sometimes not the greatest vowel because it's too broad, it's too open. And um, I spend a lot of time, or it used to spend a lot of time because I'm retired now within the last year. Uh, but um, with those guys, we would spend a lot of time on, on falsetto. And I think that that's a very healthy uh, part of their voice that um, especially basses and baritones can benefit from. Um, and uh, in this particular melody with it going so high, you know, they would probably have to make use of, of uh, falsetto at the top. And, and also trying to figure out where do they need to make that transition so that it's not um, as obvious. And um, not only the transition into the falsetto, but then back into their, their fuller voice. How do they do that and execute it beautifully? Yeah, I, I, I'm glad that you touched on that. Um, and uh, I think that personally in, in my classroom, uh, you know, it might sound a little unorthodox and crazy, but I do, I do a lot of yodeling uh, with, my, with, my, with my tenor bass chorus. Uh, yeah. You know, the first time they think you're absolutely crazy, um, but then they, but I think the fact that they are of their own, you know, we talked about a spirit decor, right. you know, that they, they just embrace it. Um, that might be a little more difficult if you have women in the room, but uh, <laughs> it, it can be. Yeah, but I think that there's a there's that that facility to be and that ease to be able to go and and hoot from back and forth. I mean, right. I, I was lucky that uh, so many of the young men that that I had in that choir had also sung treble for me in the children's choirs. And so they were also accustomed to that, that kind of sound and could, um, could replicate it very quickly. Yeah. Um, and uh, at reunions and that kind of thing, especially, well, at Christmas, I mean, I could sometimes hear some of those guys <laughs> singing the desk at in falsetto. <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> That's the, wonderful. Deafening the people around them, but <laughs> they were having a grand time. Reliving their glory days as troubles. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, one more kind of concept to talk about around this, um, you know, teaching musical concepts and what first to teach and whatnot. You know, I think tenor, we, we, we talked about, you had said this, you know, that, that singers want to succeed, you know, and, and when you had said to, it's okay to move things around sometimes and whatnot but they want to be successful. And, and on that same vein, tenor bass choirs don't always have to do the sea shanty. They don't always have to do the Viva L'Amour. They don't always have to, there, there are tenor bass choirs all over the world who like to sing legato, who like to sing beautiful. They, they want to sound good. And so that's why I think that this, that's why I think that this arrangement is, is a wonderful thing for the TBB chorus because it's like we said it's 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 in that middle where it's not it's not quite a TB where you know that has its own challenges and it's not as thick as a TTBB one with its difficulties and whatnot. 
No, but they can still produce a, a very beautiful, mature sound. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that's really gratifying for uh, for those young men is that uh, when they have an opportunity to to sing it for an audience, um, there there is uh, something deeply emotional about the text and also the the melody, and that really does communicate to to the audience and has a profound effect on them. And uh, I think that it's important for the young men to understand that yes, they, they can touch people's heartstrings um, with, with melodies like that, with, um, with music like that, that it doesn't always have to be, you know, high energy, um, uh, razzmatazz repertoire, right? Excellent word, razzmatazz. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Let's uh, let's kind of pivot just a little bit, and um, I'm uh, I'm sure that you have you know when you I, you originally wrote this arrangement, um, you know you had you had talked about the forces that you had, but um, uh, I'm sure that you have done this arrangement again. Uh, I'm sure that you have talked to other directors about maybe this arrangement and and listened to them and whatnot. So what are some uh, you know what are some teaching tips and tricks that you've picked up over those times. Now, every, every ensemble is different, but I right. think sometimes we, we can anticipate things. Um, and uh, so what are some of those things that you've picked up over your, uh, over the times that you've done it? Sure. Um, one of the things that I think is really important for any conductor is to really understand what the, the traditional melody is, because the way that I've said it, it uh, the melody migrates. It, there's a lot of unison singing, but it also migrates from um, sometimes the baritone part into the, the bass part and a couple of times up into the, the, the tenor. So when I'm arranging for tenor, uh, tenor bass ensemble, I'm, I really do try to avoid always placing the melody up in the tenor. I think it's really important that the, the melody um, uh, can be heard, uh, but that it sits in um, also um, a really good range for those male voices. And sometimes if it's exclusively up in the, the tenor, it, it's too light, which means that you have to um, tell the baritones of the basses to tone down all the time because they generally have stronger voices at, at that age. So I tend to prefer um, the melody moving around from one part to another. So that would be one of the first things that I would suggest with Carrick Fergus is to figure out where does it actually move down into the lower notes of the bass baritone um, and the tenors are providing harmony. And um, I think in the refrain, it moves up into the tenors. Um, one of the other things that I would caution you about is, um, it may, may come to me, um, it has something to do with text and the guys will have um, a real temptation to take a breath where they shouldn't. <laughs> I, I had some rover. That is, a, that is ah. a passage that um, the tenors, um, they sing quite high there, higher than the rest of the piece. And they have to be careful that they don't 
oversing on the lower notes. Otherwise, they don't have the energy for the higher notes. So that's a word of caution there. I, I honestly can't think about the um, can't think about the, the the text problem, but there is one in there where um, it's a T or a D that that wants to come in way too soon. Hmm. Hmm. Believe me, the the singers will find it, and you'll hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so this will for our listeners, it'll just be a you know a scavenger hunt for them when they <laughs> when they program this piece. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, that's that's excellent. Um, I'm I'm glad that you could share those tips. Uh, I think it's, you know, going back to your first point about kind of the melody weaving between um, it, it's. I think it's psychologically good for the singers because then they don't always feel like they're the accompaniment. You know, if they're a baritone or a bass, or they're or they're just the they're just filling in chords. You know exactly. that they. You, you can have, have a little bit more of a aware. connection with uh, with those baritones and basses. They have to be much more aware of the other lines around them, and um, really sing as an ensemble. Um, I have a few other tenor uh, TBB pieces with Boozy and Hawks. One of them is the Dying Rebel, and that became a favorite with uh, with my guys about four or five years ago, and. Um, it's the same kind of thing where I, I move the melody around um, a fair bit. And um, I also move around um, uh, in keys. And in fact, I think there might be a difference of even a fourth so that the, uh, the lower voices get an opportunity to really sing that wonderful, wonderful tune. Um, and I think that that's another one that has a whole note in it or something similar. Hmm. Interesting. I, I yeah. think it's it's a great thing to teach balance as well. You know, they, they go hand in hand. That... So it has a very similar structure to Carrick Fergus and it's a heartbreaking um, uh, song as well about uh, a father going to uh, to try to find his son who has gone to fight um, in the Easter Rebellion in Dublin, and then um, discovers that his son, in fact, has has died. Hmm. Um, yeah, there are lots of um, heartbreaking folk songs from Ireland for sure, and Carrick Fergus is is another one, and um, one of the one of the things about it is that, uh, you know, during the, the Great Famine in the 1840s, there were so many Irish immigrants who ended up moving to Canada, the US, Australia. And I've often wondered what it must have felt like to have said goodbye to um, your relatives or your loved one. Um, knowing that you probably would never see them again and uh it must have been heartbreaking yeah incredibly emotional that yeah. that sense sense of loss yeah yeah is um is i think apparent also in the in the melody mm. as well mm. as absolutely yeah the long as i mean we keep we keep coming back to the whole note you know i think that yes. it's very much in the, the longing aspect yeah uh and and before we, I mean, before we 
kind of go away from this and the, and the teaching aspect and whatnot. But I, I just have to say that, I mean, the uh, piano accompaniments that you write are, are gorgeous. And they, they are, uh, you know, my, uh, the accompanist that I work with normally, she always comments, she, she always has, she makes a point to say, you know, oh, this is, this is a good piano accompaniment. Oh, this is, uh, you know, this, this is, this is definitely a pianist. Oh, this is definitely not a pianist. So, um, so it's, thank you for the, for the, uh, you know, the gorgeous accompaniments that you write. Well, I, I appreciate that. When I, I first started out, I, I heard, complaints from some people that <laughs> I was asking too much of the uh, from the accompanist but I'm a firm believer that um, the piano really needs to be supportive of uh, of the singers and it's very difficult for them to to sustain um, some of those lines if there's not movement underneath um, from the uh, from the, the accompaniment so I'm often thinking, almost orchestrally mm. about what kind of support would be helpful for for the singers. Yeah, a great point. Great point. Okay, um, this is the last question that I have for you about Carrick Fergus. Um, uh, it's meant to be a vague one, just a disclaimer. Uh, but what is your favorite thing about this piece? I think it's probably the emotional impact that it has on on the singers and the audience. Um, it's probably not apparent to the singers um, as they're working on it. Um, but I think that that comes home to them when they perform it in front of a live audience and hearing the kind of response. Um, yeah, there will be that kind of stunned silence, I think. I hope. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, all right, as we wrap up our uh, conversation today, um, are there any exciting projects for you on the horizon? Um, you know, I, I, being in the United States, I'm not quite sure what choral singing is 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 happening in Canada right now and how um, and how the COVID protocols are, are, are uh, you know, weaving and ebbing. So uh, what what kind of things are on the horizon for you? Well, I'm based in Ontario. So um, Ontario has been um, quite conservative in um, in its approach and it's not allowed any um, any singing whatsoever uh, for the last 18 months. And um, a couple of other jurisdictions, uh, I think the East Coast was not affected by COVID particularly. Uh, and so there was a long period of time in the last fall where they were open and then there were some cases and they, they shut things down. So it's been quite variable. Some locations out West, I believe they're going back to singing with masks. And I think the plan is that there will be rehearsals probably with masks in the fall. Um, here in Ontario, I have this feeling that they won't be allowing uh, any singing until maybe 2022. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty dis disheartening. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that that's what we're prepared for at this point. Mm. 
So during, uh, I'm, you know, we all had our different activities that we did during quarantine and whatnot. Um, are, are you, uh, are you writing any new arrangements? Are you, uh, do you have any commissions on the back burner, anything like that coming down? Yeah, I, the last um, four or five months have been pretty busy. The first part of COVID, I did very little. <laughs> I just, my heart wasn't in it. I, I kept hearing about all these people that were, uh being very productive and creative and and thinking i don't know i just want to watch netflix <laughs> <laughs> although i did get out and um did some snowshoeing and uh lots of walking and um i'm lucky that i have uh, four grandchildren all within about three or four blocks of me so um, i spend a lot of time with them um so i've been getting back to a lot more arranging and um uh composing in the last three or four months. A uh, new piece that just came out with Hal Leonard uh, this spring and a couple of others in uh, Prospect. Um, I don't know whether you're familiar with Cypress Music from Vancouver, but I've become the curator for a new men's chorus with uh, a men's series with uh, with Cypress and it features not only um, some of my own arrangements but um, other Canadian composers so I've been busy um, uh, helping to edit those and get those scores available I think that they'll be very worthwhile um, additions to the repertoire and um, a lot of time spent trying to reach out to uh, uh, connect with other men's choruses in uh well no, not only north america but also in europe just to let them know that the series is now um, up and running and that there might be some very good repertoire there that would be appropriate um i think that there's a, a nice mix of um, uh, levels of difficulty and for different different ages as well that's that's wonderful. Yeah, I I actually was introduced to Cyprus not too long ago, um, but uh, but through the Electra Women's Choir. I know that a lot of a lot of yeah. the arrangements that um, uh, that they do are through that, and so that's how I got introduced to it. Um, and I actually did a uh, I did uh, Larry Nichols' "Be Still and Consider" with my women um, because I was just so enthralled by Electra. Um, and right. uh, I, I spend a I spend a good chunk on Cyprus. <laughs> yeah, there's some really wonderful repertoire, and it that um, that company was founded by Diane Loomer, who was um, co-director of Electra, but also directed uh, Corleone hmm. for many years. And uh, so that was um, yeah, that was a tremendous legacy of Diane's. So that's a that's an I'm glad that you touched on that. It's an excellent resource that maybe some uh at least the listeners that are in the united states maybe don't know about um so that's that's great absolutely um my last question for you of today is uh how can our listeners find out more about you um how can they get in touch with you if they're interested in maybe uh an arrangement of some sort or how can they find out more about the other compositions that you have in your catalog uh yeah i do have a website which is uh and uh, there's a, an extensive list there. I think that I'm over maybe 200 publications at this point. 
And um, almost all of them have either a link to um, the publisher's catalog, uh, but also YouTube performances so that people have an opportunity to listen. Um, and my um, email address is, is on the website as well. So please feel free to get in touch with me. Um, and if people are interested in perusal copies of, uh, of some of these scores, I'm always happy to, to go ahead and send you a copy. Um, I know that it's, it's sometimes difficult to gauge things when you're looking at uh, a very small icon on, uh, <laughs> on some of these websites. And uh, you think, oh, this, uh, this sounds like it might work for, for my group, but you know, I can't quite tell. <laughs> my eyesight isn't quite. <laughs> or sometimes you get two pages and not the entire thing, or you know, page one and page seven. <laughs> uh, that's right. You get, and the first page is all introduction. That's so, right. It's, it's the title page and then page seven. <laughs> and you realize the hard part comes at uh, page 12. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, right. I had no idea. <laughs> Whoops. Well, I uh, I want to just personally thank you again for taking the time to talk to me and to uh, let our listeners know a little bit more about you and a little bit more about uh, your arrangement of Carrick Fergus and how that could work in their programs or in their classrooms or in their curriculum. Um, it's been uh, such a pleasure to meet you and, and, and chat with you tonight. It's been all my pleasure. <laughs> Thanks so much. Man. Thank you. And now, a quick snippet of Carrick Fergus by Mark Surrett, performed by Cantabile Luminoso of Kingston, Ontario, directed by Mark Surrett. Thanks so much for listening to the Coral Catalog, and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mark Surrett. Please make an effort to explore more of Carrick Fergus and Mark's other compositions to see if any can fit into your programs or curriculums. While you're here, take a second to hit that subscribe button and follow the Coral Catalog so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Let me know what you think of the show, too, by writing a review. And most importantly, share this resource with other choral directors and choral lovers. We work better when we work together. Again, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Choral Catalog. <laughs>